Hi, this is Sarah McCaslin with the Forgotten Sheep Podcast, and today I'd like to talk about missionary Emily Blatchley, one of the original members of the China Inland Mission, a participant in a Lammermuir party, and a very brave, very gifted, very devout young woman. So let's jump right in. Now, after that riot, Maria Taylor felt like it would be best to send the kids back to England. She was concerned for their safety. She felt it was her duty to stay there with um, with Hudson, so she was going to temporarily send the kids back to England. So who do you think she chooses to send the kids back with? With Emily. So after the riots, Maria sent the kids back to uh, England out of concern for their health and safety. And this was especially true after one of her daughters named Grace died. And so she entrusted Emily as their chaperone, and she returned them safely to England, and she traveled with them to England to get them settled in, and then she went back to China. So, for a time there, um, Emily was the acting director of the China Inland Mission. Now, here's something else cool I like about the China Inland Mission, is they had no problem with giving women positions of authority. I I love that. They had no issue with it. Do women send out women missionaries? Sure. Send out single women missionaries as long as we can uh, be sure that they're uh, safe? Yes. And they also took concern for the safety of their male missionaries. Uh, have a woman as the acting director of the China Inland Mission. Why not? She's been over here. She's been recording so much of what's been going on. She knows in detail. She's been setting up the uh, setting up things for... The missionaries to go out is only common sense, and I love that about them, along with a lot of other things, but that's one of my favorites. And while I do have some issues myself with J. Hudson Taylor, which I won't go into here, not that he did anything bad, I just, um, some things about his personality in reading about him I don't care for, he allowed himself to be led by the Lord and he was not bound by any type of pride or male chauvinism or uh, patriarchal approach to things. Instead of trying to force his missionary work to match the plan developed by man, he sought the Lord for a plan for missionary work, and then they all adapted themselves to that. And that's the way it should be done. So, moving on, I digressed. Emily did far more than act as just a governess, a teacher, and a chaperone. As I said, uh, she was for a time acting director of the China Inland Mission. She eventually became secretary of the mission. And in that position, she wrote thousands of letters. Thousands of letters. She kept the mission's accounts. She edited the papers that the mission sent out. She edited the newsletters. She worked long hours, often far into the night, and she would care for missionaries that were sick or were wounded. She spent hours in prayer for the mission, for its vision, and all of the missionaries that were involved. And she was known for being calm and determined. I'll tell you what, if you worked with, if you helped get that many kids out of a building in the middle of a riot, you have to be calm and determined. 
You know, and it kind of makes me think, um, if I were to try to picture what kind of a, a person she was, it reminds me of my second grade teacher, Mrs. Uh, Dorothy Peterson, who sadly, whose husband, Harold, recently passed away. But Mrs. Peterson, you could not rattle Mrs. Peterson. There was nothing that would rattle her. And no matter what was going on, she was always calm. She was always collected. And she was always very, very wise. Looking back on it, she was very wise, very understanding, and very forward-thinking for her time. So that's my tribute to um, note of Mrs. Dorothy Peterson. That's what I kind of like to think of Emily Blatchley is like is that kind of uh, Christian woman that has faith and trust in God and is being led by the Lord in his wisdom. So, this uh, Emily spent hours in prayer. She was calm and determined, and her entire life was given up to service to God, the service of God. Even though it seems like a lot of it, at least in the early years, was service to Hudson Taylor and his wife Maria, it was a service to God. She was able to strike that balance of realizing that it was the Lord first and foremost. Far, too, uh, I read something very interesting the other day that talked about how when we're in service to other people, that we can get our eyes focused on the people that we're serving to the point where we allow ourselves to become, where that begins to identify us. And Emily struck that balance where it was not service to the Taylors. It was not even service to the China Inland Mission. It was a service to God. And she kept her eyes on the Lord through all of this. Now, one of the first major books that was written on the China Inland Mission included tons of quotes from Emily herself. And she had a very descriptive and rich writing style. So here's a few comments from Emily. Now, these are all direct quotes from Emily. It is best to let Jesus plan for us and not plan or even wish for ourselves. He will supply all our spiritual needs. It is so blessed to feel that nothing could be for our soul's good, which he withholds, however much it may seem to ourselves that it would be so. It is so blessed standing at the head of two or three paths to shut our eyes and put our hands in his and say, Jesus, lead me. It is so blessed when the path thus taken leads over sharp thorns and through a weary wilderness to feel he led me here. I did not lead myself into this. And I know that if the road could be so painful again, he would carry me as before. And the feeling of our hearts when the storm subsided, now this she's talking about the typhoon, the feeling of our hearts when the storm subsided was that we had been brought back from the verge of the grave, that we might devote ourselves afresh to God. May we live as those who are alive from the dead. So those are all direct quotes from her. I want to dwell on one of those for a second. Where she says, that um, the feeling of our hearts when the storm subsided was that we had been brought back from the verge of the grave, that we might devote ourselves afresh to God. 
something that I've noticed in all the missionary books I have studied, and I can legitimately say I've been studying for years, is that so many times when they would come to a point where it was the hardest thing they had ever faced in their entire life, when they would come to that point, when their heart was broken, when their life seemed broken, when all their hopes and dreams at that moment seemed as if they were shattering, that at that moment, the wisest missionaries, the wisest men and women of God would take that time and devote themselves afresh to God. And guys, that's something good for us to remember. We may not be great missionaries. We may not be great Christian leaders. We may not be some powerful influence in the world's eyes. But when we come to that point where we, our, our heart is broken, when we come to that point as, as if the pain is going to overwhelm us, when we come to that point when everything seems to fall apart, that, my friends, is the time to renew our relationship with the Lord. That is the time to commit ourselves to the Lord afresh and anew. As Emily grew up, she attended the Home and Colonial Training College. Uh, as I mentioned, when she reached her 20s, she became a governess for the Hudson family. Um, that was rapidly growing. And then when uh, Hudson Taylor and his wife Maria felt the call of God to go to China in a totally different approach to missions, as they gathered their team together, Emily was a part of that team. She was only 26 years old. So here she is, young, young girl. I say girl because I'm <clears throat> much older than that. Uh, a young woman who had never been out of England or at least out of Europe heading to China. I think she's brave. Well, the voyage to China started out peaceful enough, but it got increasingly dangerous as they went on. Now, I don't have any qualms about saying that I think the devil literally tried to destroy them and that ship as it headed to China. I have no doubt about that. First sign, uh, first problem that they really encountered was that as the ship traveled from England to China, wherever they would stop at a port, the water that they would be available would make them all very, very sick. Now, it's bad enough having adults sick, but then you got little kids that are sick, and that just makes things even worse. And then they faced two separate typhoons. Now, I think one typhoon is bad enough, but two of them. So the first typhoon took its toll on the ship. It weakened the structures of the ship. I dare say when that ship finally limped into harbor that no doubt it was held together with prayer. And... That first typhoon took its toll on the crew, wore them out. Now, the response of the missionary party was to help wherever they could. And when they weren't able to help, then they would pray and they would sing hymns. Um, now, the ship, according to Emily, was being tossed in the water like a child's toy. Now, that makes sense when you think about a small, uh, not necessarily a small ship, but an old-fashioned ship out there in the vast ocean in the middle of a typhoon. I can only imagine how bad the seasickness was. And she said the beams holding up the sails began to snap 
and dangle around. Now that compounded the danger. Um, that affected the sails, their ability to uh, keep on, on course, and those dangling, the dangling beams, no doubt, were swinging around and putting crew and passengers both in danger. Now, then, to make matters even worse, guys, the captain got very ill, and by all accounts, it sounds as if he had a stroke. So, you got parts of the beam and the mast dangling around, swinging around on the ship. The captain's had a stroke. Uh, part of his face, the left side of his face is paralyzed. And then the second typhoon arrives. Yeah, that was not even the second typhoon I was describing. That was typhoon number one. So then they enter a second typhoon with a very sick captain who's had a stroke. And as that typhoon approached, water was pouring into the ship and the pumps had stopped working. Now you can see why I truly believe the devil was trying to destroy them. He knew the impact for good that the Lamamir party was going to make. And I want to I want to mention something here. Uh, many times, and rightfully so, there are missionary groups portrayed as trying to make a nation conform to their, uh, make another culture conform to their own in order to be considered Christian. That's one of the neat things that set the China Inland Mission apart. They went into China. They weren't there to change the Chinese to their culture. They adapted their lifestyles to the Chinese culture to bring Jesus into their culture. They didn't believe that you had to have had to have European style clothing and a European style house in order to be a true Christian. So I want to make this very clear. We're not talking about religious colonialists here. We're talking about true and genuine missionaries. And as we see and recognize that, we can see why the enemy wanted to destroy them. They brought the gospel deep into China. They, they had an excellent impact for good. So the devil's trying to destroy them. The second typhoon is approaching. Water's pouring in. The male missionaries took on the role of sailors to try to keep the ship afloat, and the ladies manned the pumps the best they could, even though there were pumps that had stopped working. They were doing their best. The seas were so rough that though they doubted that even having on a life belt would save them. It was that rough. It was like the enemy was just enraged at the approach of these missionaries to a land that he had under his control the powers of darkness were enraged against this missionary party. And finally, this, they started approaching their final port and a steam tugboat pulled them in. And the condition of the ship horrified onlookers. They didn't see how on earth that ship had made it through. And the Lord brought them safely into China. Now, here's something for us to remember. We sometimes mistakenly get the idea that if we're in the Lord's will, that everything will be smooth sailing. When in fact, many times, nothing could be further from the truth. When we're doing the Lord's work, we need to recognize that we will be attacked by the enemy. And when we face typhoons, whether literal or symbolic, we need to recognize the enemy is trying to stop us. And so they just kept on 
ongoing and the Lord brought them through to safety. Did the Lord love those missionaries less because he allowed that horrible storm to hit? Those Both of those horrible storms to hit? No. Um, it showed their determination. It built up their faith in God. I, like I said, that ship was held together with their prayers. It built up their faith in God as they were about to undertake uh, a very difficult job. And so the Lord brought them through in a ship that had come through the same typhoon, the last typhoon, not both typhoons. Just one of those typhoons lost 16 out of 22 people on board. But the ship that the Lamimura party was on lost no one. Not one single life was lost. It was tossed. It was plummeted. It was uh, flooded. But not one single person lost their lives among the missionary party or among the crew. Not even the uh, captain that had suffered a stroke. And when they landed, that was the beginning of a whole new adventure. All right, so now let's talk about that arrival in China. Um, when they landed, they hadn't found a place to live. And all total, there was 22 people in the Lammermoor party. And they did not have a place to store all the equipment they had brought with them. So that was equipment to set up, you know, basic household needs. That included, no doubt, Bibles, pamphlets, um, all that kind of stuff. Okay, everything to set up a missionary enterprise in a foreign country. And so they didn't have a place to go, but they believed that the same Lord that brought them safely to China would provide them with a place to stay. And so they started settling in. And as I mentioned earlier, this group of missionaries, they believed that it wasn't the best way to come into a country and retain all your European clothes, your European habits, European style of food, uh, European style homes, those types of things, they felt that if they truly wanted to reach a people for the Lord, that they should try to blend in with the people's culture so far as it did not go against biblical teaching. And pretty much that was completely, you know, they became essentially... Uh, Chinese. They learned of their culture. They adopted their style of dress. Um, they started eating rice as the main part of their meal. And they managed to master chopsticks. And uh, I will add they did have trouble more than once finding a place to stay. Now, Emily, remind, uh, remember I talked about her being one of those that she... Um, kind of recorded the history and the goings-on of all of the, uh, uh, the early days. She described one set of rooms they rented as resembling a group of outhouses or barns clustered closely together. And she said that um, the buildings had an abundance of ventilation, which is a nice uh, euphemism, a nice way of saying that it had some really big um, cracks and openings. Um, there were no... She said it also, I love this, it had an abundance of dust and ventilation and fell short of its full complement of doors and uh, windows. I love how she put that. It fell short of its full complement of doors and windows. This is the not-so-glamorous side of missionary life. Now, 
Um, just kind of a little uh, humor I'd like to add here. You know how in the U.S. we usually say, you know, whatever it is, we can fix it with duct tape? At least here in Texas, we do that. We think duct tape is the solution for everything. If it moves and it shouldn't, we duct tape it. If it should move and it doesn't, we shoot it down with WD-40. Well, the uh, China Inland Mission equivalent of duct tape, the solution for everything, was sheets. No windows, hang a sheet there. No door, hang a sheet there. No wall so that the different families can have the privacy they need. Just hang some sheets there. Do you need to climb out of a window 12 feet above the ground during a riot? Just tie some sheets together for rope. <laughs> so that was their approach. Now, fortunately, sheets were cheap. So that worked out very well for, for them. So not long after their arrival, they've been through these typhoons. They are no doubt exhausted but thrilled at seeing the Lord's hand in bringing them safely through such a terrible, terrible storm. Sorry, I almost reverted to deep text and terrible instead of terrible. So not long after their arrival, the entire group of children came down with measles. And two of the kids came extremely close to dying. Now, needless to say, Emily was uh, there helping to care for the kids. And she had other duties she was responsible for as well, or perhaps she grew into. That included correspondence. So now um, we can send out an email. If we have an email mailing list, we can send out an email to thousands of people by just typing one message. Emily, as she was sending out the correspondence, it was all, uh, they may have had a typewriter with them. I'm not sure, but I do know a lot of it was handwritten. And even if they had a typewriter, there's a limit to how many pages that you can put carbon paper between to make multiple copies. And so that alone, just the general correspondence involved, was a tremendous amount of work. And she also helped with general work and outfitting the missionaries as they headed out. And again, outfitting doesn't necessarily doesn't mean clothes. It means making sure they have the supplies they need as they go out on a journey. Um, let's say you're um, one of these missionaries and you're going to go out to a village. Well, you'll need somebody to guide you. You'll need uh, a translator. You'll most likely need some form of transportation. Uh, and you'll need to make sure that you've got food and water for the trip, maybe pamphlets, teaching tools. A lot of times they used uh, pictures to help uh, express the gospel. Well, someone has to coordinate all that and get it all together and get it all scheduled. So that's part of what fell under Maria's purview. And as Maria, I'm sorry, fell under Emily's purview. Now, remember, Maria is the wife of Hudson Taylor. So Maria got sick. In fact, it sounds like from what I've read that Maria spent most of her time extremely sick. She got more and more ill and Emily took on more and more work as Hudson's secretary. Now, things are going well. Uh, they got a set of headquarters in, uh, I can't, I try to uh, look up how to pronounce this. It looks like Yangzhou. I think it's uh, Changyou. So, but that's, uh, that's where our next part of this story will take place.
All right, so let's talk about the most dangerous, distressing time for the early days of the China Inland Mission, and that's a riot. So here's what happened. A lot of the wealthy people in the area where the mission had set up its headquarters did not like having the missionaries there. Rather than th get their hands dirty in driving the missionaries out, they decided that they would um, encourage the quote-unquote peasants to do it. So they started distributing pamphlets. Again, not directly from them. They didn't want it traceable back to them, but they started distributing pamphlets that accused the missionaries. And not just China Inland Mission, any missionaries in that area, including the Catholic ones, of ridiculous things. Um, like setting up orphanages and taking in foundlings so that they could uh, <clears throat> eat the children. And uh, scooping eyes of the dying. Just grotesque, ridiculous things. But they kept pushing this uh, propaganda campaign. And then there were posters that went up saying, we need to uh, do something about these brigands of the religion of Jesus. And this, they kept stirring the pot, so to speak, and making the peasants more and more angry with the missionaries through a propaganda campaign. Now, realizing that the source of this was the more wealthy um, leaders in the area, the China Inland Mission offered to allow them to inspect their premises, but they were in the middle of rebuilding part of it, and part of it would be dangerous. Now, they knew it would make things about one million times worse if they let some of the local leadership in and say a beam fell on someone's head. That would make things way worse. So they said, just let us get it safe, and then you can come and tour it, and you can see what we're doing. You can see what we really have here and that it's not what you may think. Well, the locals wouldn't respond. They wanted to throw the missionaries out. Well, realizing that violence might be brewing, Hudson Taylor and another male missionary went to a Chinese official, a Mandarin, who would be able to help them. Now, while they were gone, the women and the children and I think a few male missionaries were there at headquarters. And Hudson's wife, Maria, was pregnant. She was very pregnant. Well, I guess I shouldn't. Yeah, she was, very, she was pregnant and nursing a very sick baby when the house was attacked by an angry anti-foreign mob. And that's what it really came down to. That's... Of course, they didn't like it because they were missionaries, but they also didn't like it because they were foreigners. They wanted the foreigners out. Uh, and again, it wasn't so much the peasants' idea. It was fomented. It was stirred up. It was egged on by uh, wealthy people in the area that did not want the foreigners in there and affecting how they lived their lives, how they um, oppressed people, what they did. So the result was a horrifying riot outside the doors of the mission. Now, this angry mob set fire to the lower floors of the house to smoke out the missionaries that had taken refuge upstairs. That was mainly, mainly women and children. Now, the missionaries threw some mattresses to the ground on the other side of the building where the rioters were not at it yet. Notice I said yet. 
And then they uh, made a rope ladder out of sheets. Yes. The China Inland Mission version of duct tape. They made a rope ladder out of sheets, and they started lowering the women and the children first. One of the male missionaries that uh, was down there trying to help, you know, catch the kids and get the ladies down safely, um, he was struck in the head with a brick and uh, seriously, seriously injured. So this was a violent mob. They were trying to get out of there before, you know, the building was destroyed. The last person, one of the last ones to leave the building was, of course, Emily. And she, by that time, she had to just jump from the roof to the ground, which is about 12 feet. And she was injured. And from that point, they had to make a run for it. So they had to make a run for it with Maria uh, Taylor, who was extremely sick and pregnant, and her and a nursing baby and all these little kids who are no doubt terrified. And can you imagine just trying to make a run for it with a whole passel of little kids? But they tried to make a run for it from their compound and the mob caught up with them. Fortunately, by this time, Hudson and uh, his, his um, co-workers had reached the local Mandarin, told him what was going on, and the local Mandarin had already sent out help to protect the missionaries. So, had the local Mandarin not responded for their cry for help and safety, that mob would have torn those missionaries apart. It did not happen. So, when they returned to their headquarters, their headquarters had been trashed. And so the Chinese government told the missionaries, listen, what they did to you guys was wrong. We'll make them pay restitution. We'll make them pay for the repairs. And listen to this. The missionaries at the China Inland Mission said no. We'll, we'll handle this ourselves. You know why they did that? It wasn't that they didn't need the money, because they did. That was going to be some expensive repairs. But they would rather... They would rather trust the Lord for that money than cause any further division or schism between themselves and that mob that attacked them because that mob was the very people that they came to China to win for the Lord. And even though they had been done wrong, they had been abused, even though one of their own and probably more had been seriously injured, they were not going to let money come between them and reaching the lost. They wanted no further division there. That really had an impact on those locals when they would not, when they said, no, we don't have to have restitution paid. We'll cover it ourselves. I think that is a glimpse into the missionary spirit of this group. Their number one priority was souls. It wasn't their rights. It wasn't their legal rights. It wasn't their reputation. It wasn't any of that. They could, those people could treat them however they wanted to. They were there to win their souls. They were there to lead them to Jesus Christ. Their love that the Lord, the love that the Lord poured out in their hearts was so great that they were able to overlook what that mob had done to them. Now, notice also, this is what the mob had done to them. It wasn't about protecting anybody else's rights, but this is dealing with when they personally were wronged. And that was their attitude. That's how they chose to dealt with it, deal with it. And I think that's 
that's neat. However, that wasn't the end of the trouble. Um, that wasn't the end of the trouble with uh, the wealthy people in the area. They were convinced that the missionaries were harming their uh, harming their relation with the English, and the English felt like the missionaries were harming their trade relations with China. And so then some of the um, English colonial leaders or English trade leaders started talking about forcing the China inland missionaries to leave China and return to England. That did not happen. So that was one of the most, I imagine, one of the scariest times faced by the Lammermuir Party after going through two typhoons. Eventually, uh, Hudson Taylor's wife, Maria, died of tuberculosis, of TB. And Emily was also fighting it, no doubt contracted from caring um, for Maria. And when Maria passed, Emily became Hudson Taylor's full-time secretary. So that was, again, a tremendous amount of correspondence, writing reports, gathering facts, putting them together, not just in the form of reports, but into the form of stories that could be shared with people to encourage them to pray for the China Inland Mission and perhaps provide financial support. I'll tell you what, she, uh, in uh, Texas vernacular, she worked like a dog. <laughs> you know, she really did. And then four years after Maria's death of tuberculosis, Emily finally succumbed to it. And she was only 32 years old when she passed away. So that saddens me. I like to think of her leading a long life. But it sounds like she managed to fit an entire lifetime in just those six years that she was on the mission field. She left an indelible mark on missions. And we have her to thank for so many detailed accounts of what the Lammermoor Party went through. And those accounts, it's more than just facts and reports for history and archival purposes. It encourages us that the same Lord that undertook over and over for those missionaries is the Lord that we serve. And he will undertake for us and move on our behalf and help us. And so, um, you know, that's, that's what I wanted to share with you guys. And I want to dedicate this podcast to my second grade teacher that I mentioned earlier. She was um, Mrs. Dorothy Peterson at Gospel Lighthouse Christian Academy in Dallas, Texas. And who recently, uh, recently lost her husband, Harold, who is a kid I also knew. I want to dedicate this to her um, for those, for women like her that are able to be calm and collected and seek the Lord's leading and guidance and who take that peace that they have found in the Lord and are able to share it with those around them. And so this is dedicated to uh, Mrs. Dorothy Peterson. Well, guys, I hope that you found this interesting, but even more so, I hope you found it encouraging. And if you are facing one of those times when everything seems to be falling apart, when everything seems to be coming to a grinding halt, when you're in emotional pain or physical pain, whatever it may be, a wise thing to do would be to take this opportunity 
and just recommit yourself to the Lord. Reaffirm your relationship with the Lord. And in doing so, it may take a while, but you will find strength. You will find grace. You will find help. The Lord will get you through it. So thank you for listening. This is Sarah McCaslin with the Forgotten Sheep Podcast.